welcome to this next installment of Living Legends. Today, I am excited to be here with none other than Deacon James Davis, <laughs> who has an absolutely amazing story. And so I think it's great. Let's, let's start it this way. Deke, what, first, before we get to what led you to San Jose, how long have you been connected with Emmanuel? Uh, about 57 years. 57 years, so almost since the beginning. Yes, sir. Wow. And what led you, what brought you to San Jose in the first place? Well, it goes back to the days when I was uh, in the Air Force, and uh, I was the airman in charge of discharge, retirement, and reenlistments. And I got to talk to a lot of the first-time enlisters that were being discharged and, and talking to them, most of them were uh, hit at this, this is what we all know now as the uh, San Joaquin Valley because the rumor was that there were plenty of jobs in the, you know, in the Silicon Valley. Ah. And so my roommate was from San Jose and he told me about certain jobs that were available in the different corporations that were moving into the valley and and so I became interested in in pursuing that and Erlene we were Erlene and I were engaged to be married in, in August and so I told her about it and glory be to God that uh, she worked in Yakima she was living in Yakima Washington at the time and she worked at a women's store called Hartfields and she uh, knew that Hartfields had a, a, a store located here in San Jose on First Street. Hmm. So she talked to the regional manager and they transferred her job. They, t- they told her if she moved to San Jose, they would transfer her job to San Jose. So Erlene had a job <laughs> and I, I did not. So uh, when I had about three months left, I took a week's leave and came to San Jose and, and looked and looked and looked and 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 and. and uh, found a job at American Savings and they knew that I had, you know, about three more months to go into service. So they held a job open until I was discharged. And the day we got married, we moved to San Jose. Wow. Same day. Same day. Yeah. Wow. So I'm imagining then uh, you're still able to to see it this time. At what point did you kind of lose your sight? Well, I've always considered myself able to see okay. when I, when, you know, when you, when you ask the question like that, and I, and, and so, but let me explain what I mean. Please. When I, when I was in, well, the school I went to was, uh, uh, in, uh, located, I was, well, I grew up in Miami, Florida okay. and the uh, school that I went to was a school from first to 12th grade. So, wow. uh, you had the same teachers and everybody knew each other. So I, 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 uh, I, you know, when, it, when the teachers asked me to read or whatever, I almost had to put my nose down on the paper in order to see what I had to read. So I've always had poor eyesight. Okay. I knew that, but everybody else didn't know it. Now, and uh, so after my mother died, and, and uh, I was in seventh grade, I believe, at the time. Uh, well, the next year I was in seventh grade, and my homeroom teacher, she she noticed that, and she arranged that, I go to the Miami Eye Clinic to have my eyes checked. Okay. So my older sister and I, you know, uh, went to the Miami Eye Clinic. I had my eyes examined, and and uh, my vision was sort of like twenty two hundred. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then they, you know, fitted me with eyeglasses, and then it got to twenty forty. Okay. So as long as I had my eyeglasses on, I I had twenty forty. If I got took them off. I was 2,200, and I, I don't know how many people uh, that's going to listen to this interview ever had sight worse than 2020, but, you know, that's how, how, how it all started. I realized, yeah, I realized that I had a, a sight problem, okay. and I just took one day at a time. I mean, I just tried to keep my glasses on. Okay, okay. So then... You're keeping your glasses on. Things are progressing, and do, does it like progressively get worse, or does it does it not really get all that bad? It it well, I don't think it got worse. 
and, and I don't think it got bad. I think what, what I had to learn how to uh, improvise and come up with ways to uh, uh, do things. As an example, when I got into high school, you know, well, 10th grade, I'll just put it that way. When I remember junior, I, I went out for the football team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't see the ball. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I played, I played uh, well, I went out for running back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, in past drills, you know, when the quarterback would throw me the ball, I, I never saw the ball until the ball maybe got about five feet from me. Wow. And by that time, you know, I, you know, well, long story short, if, if the quarterback threw me, threw me 10 passes, I missed all 10, okay? And so the uh, football coach, he pulled me to the side and, and told me I would make a pretty good guard. So I started playing guard. That way I didn't have to handle the ball. But the point, the point I'm trying to make is I noticed that uh, when I did things, and I, that was just one example, you know, playing football, but I used to go out to the uh, golf course mm-hmm. in, in, in Caddy to earn money on the weekends. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when the person I was caddying for hit the ball, I never saw the ball. <laughs> and so I realized then that I had a, a sight problem, hmm. that, that uh, uh, even, with, even with the eyeglasses on, I couldn't. I had difficulty seeing a golf ball. Hmm. And so I just started learning how to do things uh, to help improvise. As an example, uh, I know... When people watch football games, they, 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 uh, a lot of guys get called for holding, but I think I was the best uh, person at holding somebody that the referees didn't see in any because I learned how to – I could run fast. And so the coaches – I played guard on offense mm-hmm. and cornerback on defense. Hmm. And so when I defended somebody, I just always was able to – catch them in there, move and so forth. And I had a way of grabbing onto them. <laughs> and, you know, the referee, I never got caught. I'll just say it to you <laughs> like that. I never got caught holding. But I knew how to hold pretty good. And that's, that's the way I, I defended the receivers coming in my direction. In fact, I only intercepted one pass during the three years I played high school football. And I intercepted that pass, but I never saw it coming to me. <laughs> so so th- I, I'll, I'll just explain it to you right there. And, and, and uh, if I had my uh, the safety uh, on my team at that time, I think his name was Freddie Smart. If Freddie was here, he he tell he he tell you because when the ball hit my shoulder pad, I re- reacted and grabbed it and excuse <laughs> the impre- impression expression. But all he said was, run, fool, run, fool. <laughs> so so I, I, I took off two steps and I got tackled. Okay. But, and, and for me, it, it is stories like this, like, that I think, that, uh, that I think are far more amazing than you think. Your, <laughs> your ability to adapt to the challenges that you have, I think, are, like, amazing. So... You know, from football to, you know, getting into the service, I imagine. And, like, I, I can't even imagine how you get into the service with, with such poor eyesight. <laughs> well, that, the, the story continues because, uh, fortunately, uh, I received an athletic scholarship from Florida a University to uh, play football. Okay. And so when I graduated from high school, I reported in with all the football players on, on August First, I'll never forget that day, 1959. And of course, we, we had to take a physical. And again, I had that 2200 eyesight problem. But that did not disqualify me from, from playing football. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, unfortunately, on my sophomore year, I, I was doing pretty good. And I, on the depth chart, I was on the, on the uh, as a running back, I was on the 15th. 15. Mm-hmm. You know, I was number five, I should say it like that. Okay. Uh, now, notice I said in high school I played guard. Mm-hmm. But when I got to A&M, I was always known to be uh, a fast runner. And I could outrun all the backs except three or four guys. Okay. And so the, the, uh, the freshman coach, and our nick, you know, our nickname was the Rattlers. So those of us that were red-shirted, we were called the Pit. And uh, 
I was in the pit and I, I played I played guard when I first got there. Okay. But since I could outrun all of the, the, the backs in the pit, the freshman coach uh, pulled me to the side and said, I'm going to teach you how to catch. I'm going to teach you how to do, do things backs do because you don't have any business playing, mm-hmm. playing guard with, with the speed you have. So uh, on, my, on my sophomore year, I was doing well, and we were scrimmaging against the varsity. Uh, and uh, I went to tackle one of the – Tackle the running back that on that particular play that I got, I got my neck broke. Really? And, and uh, I uh, had to wear a, a neck brace. At that time, you know, medicine was not as far as it is now when yeah. players get hurt. You know, they can take care of them right there on the field. Mm-hmm. And so I had to wear a, a, a neck brace for about uh, three months. And so when, when November came around, uh, the doctor released me. Uh, and told me I was okay, and so I, I thought that was good. And so it was it was about three o'clock that evening when he told me that. So I said, okay, practice starts at three thirty. <laughs> so I went straight to the locker room and started putting on my uh, gear to go to football practice. Mm. But the head trainer saw me uh, and he asked me what was I doing? And I told him I was getting ready for practice. So he didn't say anything. He just turned and walked away and went and told the coach, Jake Ether, that uh, I was in the, you know, in the locker room putting my gear on because they didn't know I had been released from the doctor okay. at the time because the doctor hadn't, you know, I guess I didn't give the doctor a chance to call him. Anyway, uh, he came out and told me, son, uh, I'm sorry. The doctor told us that uh, before you got released, he had told us a week ago that he didn't didn't think it would be a good idea for you to continue playing football. So that ended, that ended my football career. Now, when you, when you talk about that, not only did it end my football career, that, that summer when I was uh, at home, I received a letter from the athletic department saying that uh, they would no longer uh, honor my scholarship. Yeah. So now, uh, this was in 1959 when things were going awry over in Cuba and jobs were hard to find in Miami. Because what I had thought of, if I, go, I could go back to school and I was in ROTC and it was going to be my junior year, I could get into the advanced ROTC and I could earn money and kind of work my way back, you know, mm-hmm. through school. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't find a job and, and so forth so to, to earn some money and, and so forth. So my brother, he had finished high school that year and he had joined the Air Force. Well, I had talked to the... Uh, ROTC commander and told him I probably should enter the going to the army. And since I had two years of ROTC, how could that help me uh, with, with, you know, by going into the army? And he told me, yeah, I would, I would be eligible to become an e- E3 rank. And so he told me to just go down and tell him, you know, who I was and, and show him my transcript and so forth. And they, all of these things would happen. Anyway, I did that took the test, and then they had me stand in line with the rest of the uh, volunteers or draftees that they had there and had me read that chart, and there was that 2200 again. <laughs> so they, they told me that, that I did not qualify mm-hmm. medically because of my sight. Mm-hmm. So I went home, and then my brother, you know, he was telling me about when he was leaving for the Air Force and everything. So I went back down to the recruiting station about a week later. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, say anything to anybody. I just stood in that area where they, they, they did the eye, tr- eye test. Hmm. And so like if they would say, uh, Pastor Reynolds, read chapter A, I mean chart A, and you said X, Y, Z. And then they would ask somebody else, read chart B and they would say A, B, C and so forth. So I, long story short, I memorized the four eye charts that they had hanging up on the wall <laughs> by what the person said to read them because they were getting 2020. So I went back a week later and uh, they said, okay, Davis, read chart A. So if, if Pastor Reynolds had chart A and you said A, B, C, I said A, B, C and I got 2020. And so that's how I got into the Air Force is by you know, memorizing the art chart, art charts and, and so forth. Now, that uh, had, had its consequences because when it's time to be 
get discharged, you know, like I said, I worked in the charter enlistment. You also had to take a physical to get discharged. Mm-hmm. So I had to sign a, a waiver to the government that I would not uh, sue the government or try to receive a disability retirement mm-hmm. based on my eyesight because what had happened to my eyesight happened prior to be enlisted into the military. It was, it was not, it was not uh, military-related. So, so that's, that's how that happened. But that's, that's how I became a soldier. Wow. Okay. So well, we're not going to talk about the manipulation of the system. We're going to just talk about uh, the ingenuity. <laughs> well, I, I call it survival. Right. But absolutely. Right. Like how do we how do we learn to survive? So yeah. so you get through Army. Air Force. Air Force. Sorry. Get through the Air Force. You marry, move to San Jose, find a job. How do you get to IBM? Uh. Same thing, uh, you know, in the Silicon Valley, there were jobs popping up everywhere. So people were talking about, you know, uh, you know, I, I knew I knew some guys that moved up here from Mercy, where I was. We were stationed at that worked for PG&E and they were all telling me that they had gone out to IBM and, and applied and, and got jobs and they were they were looking for people. So I, I took off one day from American Savings and went out there myself and I got hired the same day. And when I when I went there and and, and and so forth, you know, and and I started working for IBM in uh, in uh, on April twenty fifth, nineteen sixty six. Wow. So then, nineteen sixty six, you start, and then there's a point where it's almost like you become legally blind. Where like now you you can't see see not even the twenty two hundred. Yeah. Um, how was how did you go through that process? What is well, well, one one day I was I was sitting at my desk and and I'm gonna say it's probably around ten o'clock in the morning. And I was just sitting there doing my uh, reports and stuff, and you know I had to scratch my you know I had a itch over here and, and I did this, and I noticed I couldn't see out of my left eye, hmm. and I said hmm, something's wrong, you know, so. Erlene worked at IBM at the time as well. So I called her up and said, hey, look, I, I need to go see uh, an optometrist because I didn't have an ophthalmologist at the time. Okay. You know, and, I, and I believe his name was Dr. Lewis, and he was on First Street. And so I went to see him, and he examined my eyes, and he said, you, 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 your eyes have gotten worse since I examined you the last time. And I think you have a serious problem. He said, I don't know what it is. So he sent me to an ophthalmologist named Dr. Rayfield, okay. who was located down on Santa Clara Street, across the street from the San Jose Hospital. So he examined me, and naturally he confirmed what Dr. Lewis had said, but only in more depth. And he said, you have a serious problem, and uh, I'd like for you to go to Stanford with me because they where each month they had the uh, conference with doctors, ophthalmologists from all over the world to come out and uh, review uh, certain cases, you know, unique cases and so forth. And they consider, he considered me to be one of those unique cases. So I went up to Stanford, Erlene drove me up to Stanford and, uh, you know, they examined me and everything and make a long story short, after about three or four of those visits, they concluded that within five years, I would be blind. Hmm. And this was in 1968. They, they classified my illness as RRP. Now, I think you pronounce that retinitis pigmentosis, but I say RRP <laughs> to, to just, you know, and what that meant was I had, a, I had a detached retina that was infected, and it had been like that for so long it just was unhealable. So they just told me I would eventually, and my, I used to bleed all the time. Hmm. And, you know, so they explained some of the things to me. And uh, they told me, within, uh, and this was in 1968 when, when this happened. And uh, sure enough, in 1973, I was, I was totally blind. Hmm. Now, I didn't tell anybody <laughs> at IBM nor did I tell anybody at Emmanuel. <laughs> but uh, I, I, some people, 
Let me let, can I just tell, tell this little story? Please. I, uh, I still took it as a challenge that I could still do things because uh, the manager that I worked for at the time, he wanted to uh, have me take a disability retirement. And I, I didn't want a disability retirement because I, you know, you know, we had a, a one year old son and, you know, and, and we were just beginning to uh, become a family, so to speak. And I, I just said, hey, I need I need a job. I got to work. So I uh, just prayed and, and just followed what I believe the Lord was directing me to do. OK, so uh, when they they had a they had a softball league. And so they needed umpires for the softball league. So I said, it, it, you know, I can I can do that. But then I said, wait a minute. How can you umpire when you can't see? I said, so I went and, and, and talked to the the recreation uh, manager, you know, that was forming the softball leagues and everything. And he told me, he said, no, we, we it's a slow pitch softball, it's not fast pitch. And we had one umpire. And he calls the game. The games last 55 minutes and so forth. So I figured out a way that I could umpire. And, and here's, here's what I did. I would stand behind the plate, behind the catcher. The pitcher would pitch the ball. And to me, everything was a strike. So I didn't care where the ball was, where it went. I, I, you know, I would call it a strike. And, and so because it was slow pitch, so I felt that Everything was a strike. That was that was my rule. Okay. And well, anyway, if if the batter hit the ball to to the shortstop, okay, I mean he hit the ball. I don't I don't know where it went mm-hmm. because I couldn't. I never saw the ball, mm-hmm. but I would always beat the batter to first base because I can run fast, and I would be be at first base waiting for the ba- the batter to get to first base so I could call him safer out. Now, how could I? How do I know the batter was safer out? Well, I had I had a a rule. If I heard the foot hit the bag before the ball hit the glove, he was safe. If I hit the ball, heard the ball hit the glove before the foot hit the bag, he was out. And if there was a if it if it was a tie, I would stand there, and if the batter turned around and went back to the dugout, I knew he was out, so I'd call him out. <laughs> if he stayed on the base. And, you know, and stood there, I called him safe. Now, what, now, whether that was right or wrong, I don't know. I just knew that was just the rule that I use. And, and the way I got, got around that was if, if, the, if the batter started arguing that he was safe, I would tell him, you know, you got 10 seconds to go to the dugout or you're out of the game. And so I use that. And so that's how I run for our softball game. The other thing is that, uh, I played flag football. They, they had a flag football league, and I, I joined the flag football team. And I was, I was the best uh, defen- defensive player on the flag football team. I, I grabbed, <laughs> I, I had more flags grabbed than anybody. And so, I, I just did, I just did some things that, that, I, I didn't, I don't know how I did them other than do, other than doing them. And, and so, uh, I was telling a couple of people my story. And so, you know, you know, my I, my buddy Larry Childress, he always says I I, I fabricate a lot of stuff. So Just yeah, so I had some I had some firsthand witnesses that verified my story. Wow. Said said no, he's he's telling the truth. That's 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 what I did. But wow. there there are many there are other things I did. I played. Uh, they used to have a Christmas party for all the IBM children every year. Mm-hmm. And I played Santa Claus because the, the the black employees were complaining they didn't have a black Santa Claus and they needed somebody to play black Santa, play be a black Santa Claus. So, so there was a, a group of people they didn't know I couldn't see. They just knew I was kind of I was I weighed about two fifty two seventy five at the time. So I, I guess I was big enough to be Santa Claus. Right. So I played I played Santa Claus. So I did I did a lot of things that that. I consider it to be something that, you know, when somebody said you can't do it, yeah, yeah. I, I did it. So there's other stories, you know, Absolutely. but but Absolutely. but those those stand out, you know. And 
and and the thing I I get so inspired by listening to them because I think there there are so many people who, when faced with a variety of different challenges, right, like either they stop or they don't move forward. Mm-hmm. But for you, um, it seems like every time challenge after challenge, you know, neck broken or difficulty in seeing, all of a sudden losing sight completely, you keep moving forward. What 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 did you draw on? What what helped you to be able to navigate kind of all of these variety of challenges? Well, I got one word. Okay. And it's a name. <laughs> and it's Erlene. Hmm. Her name is Erlene. That's <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. That's my story. Excuse, excuse me a minute. Not a problem. You know, when, when I think about all the things I've said to you already, I never knew why I could do certain things or uh, whatever, you know. So I, I met, we met in the spring of 1962 when I came out to California, you know, after I finished basic training. Uh, I was assigned to uh, Castle Air Force Base down in Merced. And my roommate uh, used to go to church in town. And uh, he, he asked me to go if I wanted to go to church with him that Sunday because they were having uh, uh, what they call a homecoming where old members come back and they, you know, feast and everything like that. And he told me I'd, I'd finally get some home home cooking, you know, <laughs> instead of military food that day. Right, so right. I went to time I went I went to the to church with my roommate and that's where I met Erlene because she was playing the piano for the youth choir at that church that day. <laughs> and so I just make a long story short and said, like I, I just I like what I saw. Okay. <laughs> so I uh asked her where she lived and everything and, and uh the, the next weekend, the next Saturday, I went to visit her, you know. Now, she uh, she finished high school that year. I was 20, and that summer I was 20, and she was 18, and then she enrolled in uh, Modesto College, and but her, her father was a, a minister, so he got called to pastor a church in Yakima, Washington. So early moved to Yakima, Washington with her dad, and so we didn't see each other for two years. But I got to admit, I wrote her a lot, you know. And uh, so uh, I was, uh, I still, but uh, when, I, when I'd hear about an all-commerce track meet in Fresno, Modesto, or San Jose, wherever they were, I still ran, you know, a lot and everything. And so I used to go running, uh, all come a track meets and so forth. And so the Air Force came out with a bulletin that was the Strategic Air Command, that's the command I was under in the Air Force, came out with a bulletin that they were forming a track team to represent Strategic Air Command in the the Air Force track meet to be held in Wichita Falls in in 1964. And so I I was going to try for the team. And so I just decided, hey, I got one more year in the service, so I was gonna. I wanted to propose Erlene, so I, uh, before I said before I go to Wichita Falls, I'm gonna go to Yakima, Washington, and propose, and then come back and go go to the track meet and everything. So that's what I did. Hmm. I, I went to Yakima, I, I proposed, and she said yes, and we got married. But the reason I'm telling this story is, I think that's where uh, I began to see why I was I was in the Air Force and why my life took that that turn because one thing I didn't say remember I told you I got the letter that telling me my my scholarship was not going to be renewed see uh, my older sister tells me she was she was home that summer uh, from Tuskegee and she said two weeks after I joined the Air Force a letter came to the house from the dean of the business school to me, addressed to me, saying, I understand your football scholarship was not renewed, but if you come back to school, 
I will ensure that you got an academic scholarship in the business department. <laughs> and I said, oh, no. <laughs> I'm in the Air Force now. If I leave, I'm AWOL. So I had to, I had to honor my Air Force contract. But mm. I found out that, but I, the reason I'm saying that is it's in response to your question. Mm-hmm. See, God had a plan for me. Yeah. And had I gone back to school, I never would have gone to the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I never would have met Erlene. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I say that I believe that this was all God's plan, that we were, we were meant to be with each other in the life that I, I planned for myself. God had a better plan. Mm-hmm. And my older sister, uh, in fact, I, I, I told her about this interview my, uh, this past Sunday. Okay. And so I, I just, I know, I know you, when you have things like this, you do fact checks. Mm-hmm. So I did some fact checks with, my, <laughs> checks with my older sister before I made this interview to verify about the Dr. Mobley letter mm-hmm. and the other things. And then she told me one thing that, that my mother said about, about me and my two brothers and, and, and so forth. So, uh, it was, it was all, uh, my destiny was in God's hands. And and that's, that's, that's what I, I, I believe, you know, that I'm, I'm here Mm -hmm. and, and we're here because of what God had determined for my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that Prius, I was going to ask the question, but I think it, it came in right there. Um, so, so just a, other, a couple of other thoughts as, as we kind of wrap up is what are, what are some of the challenges that you still face uh, that people who may not be blind or whatever may never even think about? Well, the, the, the challenge I face, and it's not a, it, 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 it's not a, a criticism mm-hmm. of everybody else. It's just that when, when, you, when you have a disability, I, I think, and people learn of your disability, I think they're, they have reservations about asking you to do things or accepting uh, what you have to say. I, I have to give you some of my IBM experiences to, to, to do that okay. is because uh, uh, I was always uh, asking my IT person uh, because he, he went to that uh, conference in in, uh, in Las Vegas that they had every year where all the companies introduced their new products and everything, looking for equipment, devices, or whatever that could help me. And, and, and I think in uh, 1981, there was a company called Freedom Scientific located in Boca Raton, Florida. They came out with what's called a screen reader. Hmm. And uh, he came back and shared that with my manager and myself. And... Uh, my manager ordered me one so I could, you know, use it and so forth. And that's where I could do, I, I was able to do a lot of things that I couldn't do without it. In other words, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, everybody had email, mm-hmm. but, you know, I couldn't use email until then because I, had, I didn't have the kind of equipment or device or visual aids or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when when I got that piece of equipment, I was able to do more things, and and then I learned how to do other things. As an example, uh, when I did when I was a, a senior financial analyst, I had to do budgets and accounting reports and so forth, and so I would do my own. Yeah, and uh, and uh, people didn't didn't know how I was doing it because, like I said. I, I think 90% of the people I worked with did not know I was blind. Hmm. But uh, one day I was uh, asked to, uh, one, of, one of the managers that, that I supported uh, wanted to go fishing, deep sea fishing with some buddies, and they had, they had already made some plans and everything. And uh, he was scheduled to go to a business unit review and, you know, with his manager. Mm-hmm. And so he called his manager up and told him, you know, hey, uh, I feel comfortable with, with, with Davis, he's, he's shown me my budgets and, and, and measurements and so forth, and I'm going fishing. I would like for him to do my financial presentation during the review that, that's scheduled for next week. Okay. And I got excited because nobody 
you know, none of us, when I say us, I'm talking about financial analysts had get, had that privilege before wow. because the managers always had to do it. Right. And so I went back and told the accounting manager because I was excited and he didn't say anything to me. And so uh, the manager that I supported came to me about an hour later and told me, uh, uh, I, I'm, no, no, he, my manager came and told me and he said, uh, I'm sorry, you can't do that presentation wow. uh, uh, at the BUR next week. And I said, why? He said, well, you're not, you don't have a high enough level. So I went back and told the manager that I supported that, uh, you know, I can't do the presentation on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And he he threw a fit and he went and got with the controller and told us that this is my organization. If if I think Davis can do it, he should do it and he will do it. And so that that's when I decided I'm not going to work anymore in finance because he, you know, he didn't support me and I felt hurt over that. And uh, so I started uh, doing things and but there was a there was a, a a manager also in that BUR meeting when when I had to do the presentation. And uh, after I finished doing the presentation, you know, you don't have to stay for the whole meeting. You just right. do the and leave. So I grabbed my charts and and headed out the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, this 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 uh, guy came running up behind me, you know, uh, tell me, hey, you forgot your cane because I left my cane laying on the, on the table. <laughs> and another guy was with him. And uh, so I told him thanks. And so the other guy that was with him asked me, he said, how come you carrying that cane? I said, well, I'm blind. Don't you see the red tip on it? And I can't, I can't tell you what he said to, <laughs> in, 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 in response on, on this video, you know. But you can imagine what he said. And I said, no. I said, uh, and, and so... He uh, he didn't believe it. And but over time, people began to begin to listen to what I had to say because they knew that I had done the research. However, however, I got it done Mm -hmm. and so forth. But I just took it. It was always a challenge for me to always stay ahead of what I needed to know so that when the time came to share it with management and others, I'd be able to do it, and I just took it as a challenge, and I, and I, I just always tried to be ready to do it. So from umpire and baseball, uh, softball games, yeah. and literally if they were to yell out, the umpire is blind, they would have been telling the truth, right? But I, I, I told them they were telling the truth. <laughs> you, know, you know, when they say, ump, you blind, I say, you're right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't deny it. <laughs> But they still they could they still couldn't prove it. You right, know. right. So umpiring, playing softball, we have you doing financial presentations, and you would think you know mm-hmm. this high level, but your intelligence, your ability, God's grace, right? Yeah. You still do it. At some point, you become like the was it? Isn't it the treasurer for like the denomination? At some point. Yeah. After after I retired, uh, I kind of wanted something to do, so I talked to the uh, director of missions and asked him if he had anything that I could do to help the association out, and he said they needed a treasurer. So uh, he uh, recommended me for the for the job, and so I, I was the treasurer for the, uh, at the time it was called, I, I think it was called Central Coast Baptist Association, mm-hmm. so I was the treasurer for three years for the association, and then uh, that led to a state position where I was on a on a committee called Committee of Committees and Planning. So that that's how I got involved in that. But uh, I, I I just, you know, had four reasons to let those things go. And, and uh, the, the reasons are Madison, McKenna, Noah, and Ava. Those are my grandchildren. <laughs> so they they came along, and so I, spent, I wanted to spend more time with them. Yeah. And still, you DITW teacher, making sure lesson plans and all... Like, I, I'll never forget, my mother came, and she walks into your class. She tells the story to this day. Is that right? She tells the story to this day. She says she walks into your class. You're, you're, you're up teaching. She walks into your class, and she sits down. She believes quietly and everything. Hmm. Um, she says, you stopped the class and said, hey, I just heard somebody come in. Who is it? 
and she thought that she had got away. Um, and he's like, oh, it's, it's uh, Pastor's mom. And he's like, oh, well, welcome. We're right here and everything. And you go right back to teaching. And she said, how in the world did he know that I had come into the class? Um, <clears throat> and it, it was, it's, it's, it's stories like that. Or my favorite story still is when we did our uh, Bible study on the, movie, on the television show Kings. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're sitting in the sanctuary. We're watching television Kings. We go to talk about it. And you <laughs> lift your hand and say, I think it's the woman in the red dress that threw everything off. Everybody in the, the Bible study is like, how in the world could you have known that she had on this red dress? Well, I think because because uh, Erling, Erling gets on me all the time on this because some, I think the Lord blessed me with the ability to hear. And so I can hear conversations going on that night, you know, because you had people break up into groups and they mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. what they saw and everything. So I just heard one group when they were going over their assignment. I just heard somebody mention about the lady in the red dress. <laughs> so that that's that's that was just just me. Like on some days when I wanted to play a practical joke on one of the secretaries at work or something, I would come in in the morning and ask somebody, you know, what color dress does so-and-so have on today? And they would tell me. So about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I'd get up on my desk and walk around and just talking to people. And I would pass the secretary and I'd say, oh, you have a beautiful red dress on today. So I would do stuff like that just to, <laughs> just to get, have humor and have fun. But it, that was just the way I, I kind of, it helped me to not f- have a pity party about my disability and so forth. So, and, and, it, and, and, it, and it made people wonder, can he can he really see or not? I think that's I think that's why Larry gives me such a hard time because I pull a lot of pranks on him, you know, you know. But but that's I don't think. Well, I know you mentioned a minute ago about it. It could be offensive when you when you mentioned things about people being handicapped or disability. And I, I hate the word handicap. Okay, you know, and I don't. And here's why I hate the word because I don't consider myself to be handicapped. I have a disability. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when I first started experiencing that, I didn't know how to accept it. And so I, I, I would always ask God why until one day he came back to me and said, why not? And that taught me that I need to stop having, feeling sorry for myself mm-hmm. and just live one day at a time and, and, and so forth. And, and, and uh, that's where... Erlene comes in again because I have to admit there have been times when I've been frustrated uh, about not being able to get some things done on time and so forth. As an example, when you said being a, I know I know we use the term DITW, but mm-hmm. just just for the for the record, Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'll just 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 refer to something that I heard uh, Pastor Tony say one time when he got up, but he used, still uses the paper Bible when right. most people use uh, phones. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a paper Bible and I don't have a phone Bible. <laughs> so what do I use? I have to listen what people say and remember what people say. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way I, I operate. Yeah. And uh, so I learned the best way to study the Bible is not just read a scripture and 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 start talking about it. Mm-hmm. As an example, uh, if we had a a lesson on on the, well, I'll just use it this way. I know you you've been uh, talking about evangelism yep. uh, for the last two or three months. Mm-hmm. So, what's the best uh, area to talk about evangelism? I'm thinking myself now. I don't know what. What you have planned for that mm-hmm. period of time and so forth, but here's what I did: I go to Paul's writings mm-hmm. because that's what he he was the missionary for the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That's evangelism. So what did Paul do? So this this past Saturday, uh, well this Sunday, the sun the lesson is on uh, Ephesians chapter six, putting on the arm of God. Mm-hmm. But I, I said this is good timing because. Uh, Ephesians is a book about evangelism. Mm-hmm. And so 
I started, I said, well, I don't know what he's got in mind, but if, if I had to do a presentation on evangelism, it would come from the book of Ephesians. Yeah. And, and, and associated with other, you know, and related Paul, right. other writings that Paul made and so forth. So that's, that's what I do is, is, uh, is uh, I have, uh, well, I know a lot of people will give me what's called a reading book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, have those, you know what I'm talking about, those books that yeah. you read. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't use those because I can listen to it reading, but if, if it's something that's not clear to me, I have no way of playing it back and so forth. So that's why I like to use my screen reader. Yeah. I would uh, have somebody, uh, Erlene or somebody, uh, take the document I have and make me a document file out of it or, or something like that, and then I'll have my computer read it to me. Yeah. See, and that's just like me reading it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not somebody reading it to me. I got you. Because I can stop it and listen to it and ask, ask questions and well, you know, I, when you, I know you say I talk to myself. I do, you know, but and, and I'll ask you or someone else about a question I have. And, and, I, and that, that's how I study. So I, I I don't I don't have a paper Bible. I don't have a app, but I, you know, my, my saying is, is, you know, you should carry your Bible with you wherever you go. Absolutely. It's good to carry it in your hand. It's better to carry it in your head. And it's best to carry it in your heart. Yes, sir. And that's why I try to carry it in my heart. That was the word of the Lord yesterday. The verse of the day was, you know, uh, hide thy word in thy heart that I won't sin against thee. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 119. So, yeah. absolutely. Well, the, it, it, is, it has been absolutely amazing. Um, as we prepare <laughs> to kind of close out, if, if there was any way that you would want people to remember your story, like uh, somebody else that may be dealing with a disability, yeah. Somebody else that may be challenged. What would you want them to glean from your life? You know, I just, I think I would just say, love the Lord, love your family, your biological family especially, mm-hmm. and your church family. And in that order and you'll be successful. And it's one thing that uh, I want to be remembered as not as a deacon, but as a servant Mm. of God. That's what I want to be remembered. Because now I know some of the uh, deacons might take offense to my saying anybody can be a deacon. But everybody can't be a servant. And that's what I learned. And one of my fondest memories of being a servant at this church. And I won't I won't call any names, but there are four young ladies in this church. When they got ready to get married. They came to me and said to me, you know, my father is deceased. Or I don't have a father. And I'd like for you to walk me down the aisle during my wedding. Hmm. Those are things I want people to remember about me and what God has done for me. He has allowed me to do things that are out of the ordinary, that are over and beyond what I think um, the standard things that we do, you know, we say, well, one of the ordinances of the church is serving communion. Mm-hmm. Well, you're automatically going to do that every first Sunday if you're a deacon in this church or any Baptist church. That, that, that's just, just, just exactly. part of it. But will every young lady in the church have as, that much respect for you to come to you and ask you to be with them on what probably is the most exciting day of their life? That's just one example. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll never, those are the four memories, and when I say four weddings, mm-hmm. I'll always cherish the memory of that and, and so forth. But then again, love God, love your family, love your church family, 
and just move on from that point. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. I and mean, just be a servant. Not be served, be a servant. I'm still inspired by your story. Uh, and I know there are plenty of other stories we didn't even get a chance to touch on. Yeah. Um, but I hope that you know that you, you are an inspiration to me. Okay, and, uh, thank you. And I appreciate you taking this time to just answer a few questions. On <laughs> well, I, you're right. I, I could uh, go on because... Yeah, uh, you know I love talking, <laughs> but I, I appreciate your, your, your mother's story. But I, you know, I uh, have a habit because I people when they learn that that I listen and so forth, like uh, when when I had a classroom in the family life center down on the end, mm-hmm. you know, there's no carpet on the floor. So when I hear people coming, I can tell who it was <laughs> by the footsteps. Wow. And, and so when they walk in the door, I would say, good morning, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. And then they would stop and say, how did you know it was me? And I just say, well, I know. I, I, <laughs> I just know. And then there was, there was one, one lady in my class. She, uh, she would come in the door, and, and I don't know why she had the habit. She... And I'm, I'm visualizing this is what she is doing. She'll grab the chair by the back mm-hmm. and snatch it out, you know, and, and then it, once she lets it go, it plops on the floor. And I would tell her, I'd say, hey, you don't have to treat the chair so bad and call her name, you know. And she <laughs> never wondered. So I, I, I think people have habits and they cough or whatever. And I, I recognize the different sounds I hear people make. I, and maybe I shouldn't say this because people stop being. There was one lady, she she uh, always come up to me and she would just stand there and, and clear her throat or something, expecting me to know who she was. But once I found out who she was, I didn't let her know that until I started calling her name, you know, because I would ask somebody after they would leave, who was that? Mm-hmm. And then she would tell me and from that point on, she couldn't fool me anymore. You know? <laughs> but so, so that, that, yeah. so I just think the wow. good Lord uh, taught me how to listen. Yeah. Mm. Taught me how to listen. Yeah. Well, thank you so. for stepping in, uh, being a part of this episode of living legends. I pray that you were inspired by such an amazing story by Deacon James Davis, servant James Davis. Um, And that you can recognize that there's something to it when you learn how to listen. Amen. Thank you, Deacon. I'm reaching out for you. Reaching out for you. Oh, okay. All right.